Welcome to Great Points, financial insights for improving your relationship with money. I'm Matt Schroeder, Certified Financial Planner and Director of Financial Planning at Great Point Wealth Advisors, a fee-only registered investment advisory firm with offices in Boston and Danvers, Massachusetts. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of Great Points. I'm delighted to have a distinguished guest on the, uh, on the line today. Uh, Peter Dish is the founder and chief investment officer at Great Point Wealth Advisors uh, and my business partner and longtime friend. So, Pete, thanks for joining us here today. Uh, you want to tell the, tell the people listening a little about yourself? Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Matt, here on Great Points, my first podcast. So this is exciting. Um, so as Matt mentioned, I am uh, the founder of Great Point Wealth Advisors, and I've been in the business for about 20 years. Um, 12 or 13 of those have been um, at Great Point. I'm a certified financial planner, and really, we like to think of ourselves as holistic financial advisors, covering everything from uh, insurance consulting to education planning, retirement planning, private equity investing, um, and then uh basically just trying to be the first call for all of our clients should anything financial related come up. That's great. Excellent. And, uh, you know, one of the, we were talking offline about your recent experiences down at the private wealth management summit. Um, so I thought it'd be good for you to share some of, uh, your insights on the investment side of the business. And, you know, I've talked a lot about kind of the, the softer financial planning topics, but kind of this would be great to dig into, your thoughts and opinions on investing both now and you know beyond this pandemic and where we sit right now. So uh, if it's okay with you, I'm going to put you on the hot seat and ask you a couple questions. Sure. Let's go. Sounds great. So you just came back from the conference. Um, why don't you, you know, tell me a little about what they, you know, some of the key topics that were being discussed, um, you know, and is more specifically why, you know, what you were at, what level of expertise you were asked to talk on at the conference. Well, the biggest topic, uh, down there, which is pretty prevalent, I think, across the country right now, is the topic of inflation. Uh, is it transitory or not? And it is most certainly not, in my opinion. Talked a lot about taxes. Um, if the Build Back Better plan is going to increase taxes uh, or not, and if it does, who it's going to affect, how that's going to impact the financial markets. Uh, Federal Reserve policy, what they're going to do about combating inflation and, you know, what their pace of either tapering or raising interest rates would be. And then um, there was a lot of discussion about how to position portfolios as a result of that. There was a lot of talk about alternative investments and income generating strategies, um, a lot of fancy investment talk, I guess you could say. Um, I was specifically asked to speak about uh, portfolio strategy in a post-pandemic world and how to manage risk and uh, position portfolios. So that was my panel. Um, and then there were obviously a lot of other panels and other uh, discussions taking place throughout the, uh, the term of the conference. Okay, great. Well, I'm going to come back to your topic, but um, you mentioned inflation. Obviously, it's in every article you open up. What are your thoughts on, you know, where we are, where we're heading, and kind of how does that change your view on investing or any anything that you know it should be changing investors' minds on? Well, I think it's probably the topic that investors should be focusing on. Um, we have, I think, we've all observed inflation in our everyday lives, shopping and, and buying things everywhere, and uh, I think we've probably been seeing that for at least twelve to eighteen months. 
And now we're just seeing that pan out in the prints from um, the financial data. You know, it's pretty close to 7% year over year at this point. And, um, you know, one of the dangers of seeing inflation rates that high is that the impact that it has on the psyche of the consumer. So, for example, you know, if you're, uh, you know, so we all have, well, air conditioning, heating in our homes, and you have to replace those filters, say every six months. So if you're going to Home Depot, usually maybe buy two of those, you have a year supply, you know, this time you go to Home Depot, you might buy four of them thinking, hey, look, I'm here. And next year, they're just going to be seven, 8% more expensive, I know I'm going to need them. So you buy four of them. If everybody does that kind of a thing across different uh, products, then what you have is just increased demand. You have the same supply and economics 101 tells you that that will increase prices. With the pandemic, what we're seeing is we're actually seeing an increased demand and we're seeing a reduced supply. So that is just further exasperating this entire inflation problem, which is why I think we're going to continue to see that happening. You see that happen with cars. You know, usually if you had, you know, 60, 70,000 miles on your car, you figure maybe I can get to 100,000. Today, people are saying to themselves, I got 60, 70,000 miles in my car. There's no new cars available. I mean, I drive by the Chevrolet lot down the street from my house. They used to have 50 to 100 Suburbans right on the lot. Today, they have like maybe three. So that's incentivizing people to accelerate their purchases. And that is inflationary as well. So I think that's here to stay. And I think that investors would be uh, well served to position their portfolios accordingly. So if, you know, some of the supply chain was, you know, due to the virus and workforce, if the supply starts to come back, do you, does that level off with demand and help with inflation or? Well, if the supply comes back, that is one of the two inputs. So that would certainly level off inflation. But once the consumer's psyche changes towards this uh, thought process of, I better get ahead of it. And of course, everybody has more money now too. It, it doesn't matter if you are wealthy or not. Um, $4 trillion came into the economy over the last 18 months um, through payroll protection program, stimulus checks to affected workers, um, there's just been a lot more money in the system. And so anytime you add that kind of money into the system, it's going to be inflationary as well. So even if the supply chain does come back, there's still more money in the system. There's still going to be more, uh, uh, more money to chase these prices higher. So if you look at over the last 250 years of, uh, of the United States, the money supply took 250 years to grow from $0 to $16 trillion. 250 years to go to 16 trillion. We went from 16 trillion to 20 trillion in just, just 18 months. So that's a massive increase in money that's circulating around. It's not made up money. It's actual money that was sent out to people to spend. So that it's, there's no other outcome other than what I would call massive inflation. And I think that the 7% prints that we're seeing could be, could be just the start of that. So as an investor, obviously you're thinking long-term, so you don't want to you know, do anything rash, but is there anything that, you know, short-term on the short-term investors should be doing differently with, you know, either how much they invest or how they invest or how their current money is allocated? Yeah, I, I think that in the short, I think you want to make some short-term changes, 
that you intend to hold for the long term. So it's not a short term change to change it again in the short term. You're not trying to time the inflation market. You're just. No, I think you're just trying to recognize that inflation right now and probably for the next let's just say five to 10 years is going to be a little bit, it's going to be a lot different, frankly, than it's been the last 20 years. There's really been no inflation to speak of since the year 2000. Um, And so I think you're going to see higher inflation. And as a result of that, I think you just want to be rethinking your portfolio. So I I would be making short-term changes or kind of just like immediate changes and expecting to hold on to those over the long run. And, you know, that primary change would be to probably keep a little bit less in cash or short-term fixed income. So, you know, when we talk about portfolio management, we basically talk stocks and bonds. And so I think you want to hold a little bit less in the bond portfolio and a little bit more in the equity portfolio. It doesn't need to be drastic, but just at the margins. And I think that is a prudent way to be thinking about how to deal with inflation. Very interesting. Okay. And obviously, so if I, if I do absolutely nothing, what's the, what's the risk to me? Well, if you do absolutely nothing, what's going to end up happening is, you know, so, so when people are thinking about investing, they typically think of risk as the loss of your principal, right? So I've got a, I got a million dollars in a portfolio or a hundred thousand dollars. It doesn't matter the number. And the risk that you usually think of is what if my $1 million goes to $600,000 next year? So that's a loss of your principal. What people don't think enough about is the loss of your purchasing power. And that's where the inflation story comes in. So if you've got a million dollars and it's all invested in bonds and they're earning 1% like they are today, inflation is running at six or 7% your purchasing power is being eroded by five or 6% every single year. You don't see that on your statement. So every time you get your statement from your custodian, you still see you got a million dollars and you got a little more than a million dollars and a little more still, but the amount that that million dollars buys is much less. And over a 10 year time period, if you're getting 1% and inflation is going at 7%, you're actually going to lose something like 63% of your, of your purchasing power. And, um, So that's why I think it's really important. So you need to have some bonds in your portfolio for the most part. Most people do. You need it to have for liquidity. If an emergency comes up, certainly if you're retired for your, for your distributions and things like that. But I think you want to be really careful about what that amount is given the disparity of interest rates versus inflation rates. Great. Excellent. Um, so kind of moving on, changing, changing topics away from inflation, you know, kind of looking at the last two years, you know, it's kind of been a roller coaster ride. And, you know, for people that kind of stayed put, they've been rewarded on the investment side. But when you look at kind of the to your topic of investing post pandemic, you know, over the last two years, has it changed your views on investing or how, how, how have the, the, what we've gone through in the last two years, you know, impacted your thoughts? I would say, if anything, it's it's reinforced a lot of the principles that I've always believed in when it comes to portfolio management, which is number one, to make sure that you have your uh, safe investments, which I call liquidity, have your liquidity in place um, and allow the equities, the stocks that are in your portfolio, allow them to go up and down because 
you can't have um, you can't have return without any risk. And risk, of course, just means that you're going to have an uneven stream of returns within your portfolio of stocks. So knowing that, um, you know, we have done the planning. So I, I think, you know, again, one of the things that's been reinforced to me is our role as financial planners with our clients so that we have we have a plan in place so that when the pandemic hit, we didn't say, uh-oh, what do we do about this expense that we have coming up? What do we do about, you know, my kid's college that's going to be in four years? And I think that most of us in February and March, of course, of 2020, had no idea how long this thing was going to last. You know, some days it felt like it might last the rest of our lives. I don't think anybody would have predicted that it would have just been kind of like a four month kind of bear market type of thing. And so what that does is it really induces panic in the market, which is exactly what we saw. And I think for those individuals who had a solid financial plan and had liquidity in place for the expenses that they knew they had coming up in the next three to five years, were able to sit back and take a bit of a different perspective on what was happening in the world and say, hey, look, this is March. We've been in this for like two months right now. It could get really bad, but it might not. And I kind of have like another four and a half years worth of liquidity in place before I have to, you know, for really in trouble. So, you know, two years from now, I might be like kind of nervous, but two months into it, I can kind of like chill out a little bit and just kind of see where the dust settles. Um, and I think that is just... I think that's a game changer for people um, because it does give you that confidence to sit back, let things unfold. And then of course we did see, um, see how things panned out. And, you know, unfortunately we know that's not the case for everybody because the market can't possibly go down as violently as it did unless people were panic selling. Um, so to answer your question, what, what the, what, in terms of changing my approach, I think it's reinforced the planning, the liquidity, allowing the stocks to go up and down, but adding to that in the post-pandemic world is probably keeping a little bit less in the bond market, a little bit more in the stock market because of this new inflationary environment that we are just getting into. Two kind of follow-up questions and kind of one of them is more of an asset class, the other one more of a situation, but um, the first one is over the last few years, you've seen a lot of people talking about cryptocurrencies and other assets. Do you have an opinion on how they fit into the, the everyday portfolio or are they just for people that you know, are, uh, kind of understand them better or should everyone have them? So my, um, my personal opinion on crypto is I think it's pretty cool. Um, I think that uh, I would like to own some of it. Um, my professional opinion on crypto is that I really have no idea where this is going to end up in five or 10 years. And so I don't recommend that clients do it. I don't recommend that clients don't do it. I just don't know enough about it to say for sure one way or the other what to do. If you have some completely discretionary money in your portfolio and you said, hey, I want to take a little bit of this, 
in a little bit might be like one, two, five percent or something like that of your portfolio um, and, and allocate it to some kind of crypto. Um, I don't think that's a terrible idea. I would be cautionary on how you go about getting that exposure because a lot of the uh, publicly traded um, investments that are available to kind of the general public are using futures contracts to get exposure to the crypto. It's very expensive. It's very inefficient. And in a lot of cases, I don't think you're going to get what you uh, thought you signed up for. So that would be like buying a ETF of uh, yeah. currency versus buying your own individual. Bitcoin. Yeah. Like I would say, you know, again, and this is not advice at all, but I would say if you were to buy crypto, I'd, I'd go to somewhere and I won't name names, but somewhere where you could actually buy the coins mm-hmm. as opposed to the other types of investment vehicles that are out there. Got it. Okay. And then the second question is, you know, so, sometimes you come across people that, you know, have some cash, either they get a bonus or uh, maybe they inherit some money um, and or they sell a house and they're sitting on some cash and you look at the market and you say, oh, geez, it's high. Maybe I'll wait uh, or it's down. Maybe I should buy now. Um, what's your, how, what advice or how do you approach, you know, someone who's got some cash and is looking at the market and saying, is it high? Is it low? What should I do? So the answer to that is, again, it has to, you have, in order to manage money effectively, you have to be principled in how you approach these types of questions. And the principle that I operate on is that um, the best time to invest money is always as soon as you get it. The best time to raise money is always as soon as you know you're going to need it. So caveat there is that you have to have at least a four or five year-ish time frame on that investment. So if you came to me and said, hey, look, I got a bonus of $50,000 and I don't need this for another 10 years, invest it today, 100%. I got a bonus of $50,000 and... um, you know, I think that we're going to want to use this as a down payment on a house on the Cape either next summer or maybe, you know, in the next three years. If you really want to do that and you really want to be in a good position to do that, you know, you might, you're going to have to put that in something safe. And the downside of that is that, you know, the longer you wait, the maybe the houses get more expensive. Maybe they get cheaper. Who knows? But the point of the matter is that if... The the best time to invest money for the long run is always as soon as you get it. The best time to raise money for an expense you know you have is always as soon as you know of it. Right. Excellent. All right. The final question, Pete, now this goes to kind of the mistakes you've seen people make during turbulent times like we've seen over the last couple of years. And you've been through enough market cycles that you've seen them over and over again. Um, what mistakes have you seen investors making? Um, and more importantly, any tips on how, how you try to minimize them for clients or how the average investor could try to minimize some of those mistakes moving forward? So the number, so again, going back to us as, you know, we start always, Matt, as you and I have done for 20 years, we start as financial planners. And so the number one mistake that people make when they're investing is a lack of planning, which leads to a lack of confidence, which turns into panic selling during times of trouble. 
And the worst thing an investor can possibly do is take a temporary decline and make it a permanent loss by selling. So that's certainly the number one mistake. Then the second one is the old classic, this time is different, you know, and it's just, it's just not true. Um, you know, I like the uh, famous expression of, uh, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And I think we've seen that play out over the last couple of years. Um, so I think those are the two kind of biggest mistakes that investors make. And then how do you minimize those mistakes? Well, I guess it would basically be the inverse of what I just said is to make sure you do your planning, <laughs> make sure you know that, you know, this time is, this time is almost never different. You know, there might be a little bit of differences here and there on the margins, but for the most part, for the most part, the stock market goes up and then it goes down and then it goes up again. And the second time it goes up, it usually goes up a little bit higher than it was before. And then it comes down and then it, it's just, it's the way it goes because risk and reward are related and you can't have a high reward, i.e. high returns in your portfolios without some corresponding level of risk associated with that. So you have to be able to stomach that. You got to stay with it through the uh, thick and thin. And then, you know, making sure that you have that liquid portfolio on the side so that you've got your three, four, five years worth of expenses. Um, that would be kind of like for a retiree. You want to have three, four, five years worth of expenses uh, put aside to get you through those ups and downs. Um, and, and for people who are accumulating, you know, that's usually your income. So, you know, need like, you know, it's a different discussion, but you need a lot less than that if you're, you know, a, a working person. But those are the, the ways that you can minimize those mistakes is just do your planning and understand how the stock market acts. Very good. Excellent. Well, Pete, great insights into uh, investing today, investing always. Any other questions? Uh, closing comments or things to share closing comments or things to share um you know i just i i think the takeaway from this is that i, I just would really encourage people to make sure that they're they're doing their planning don't invest any money in the stock market that you don't uh that, that you would need in the next four years and um I would be really thinking hard about that whole entire inflation discussion. And, and maybe if you need to make some minor changes, it's not, it's never usually major changes that need to be made, but maybe you cut your allocation to bonds back eight or 10%. And, and that would probably be enough to offset the impacts of inflation. You don't go buy hundred percent gold. <laughs> nope. Uh, very rarely buy hundred percent of anything. Exactly. Yeah. So sometimes you hear those comments like, Oh, my, I'm going to go all gold. I'm going to do all this. And it's just never, never the right. And anything you're any, any, any extremes are never right. Uh, it's, it's like taking the SATs. If the, if the question says always or ever, <laughs> it's not the right answer. That's funny. Yeah. Perfect timing. So, well, Pete, thanks for joining us today. And uh, as always, thanks for all the insights. Have a good day. Got it. Good talk with you, Matt. Talk to you soon. Now, I hope you can apply some of what you heard today to improve your relationship with money. And thanks again for listening. Until next time, I'm Great Points with Matt Schroeder.
Great Points is hosted by Matt Schroeder. Great Point Wealth Advisors is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Great Point Wealth Advisors does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through Great Points. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.